The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome again to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, I'm Craig Carton and the purpose of uh, this show from 9.30 to 10 o'clock again is to have a frank and open and honest conversation about gambling addiction. Uh, by no means are we telling you that you shouldn't gamble. If you want to gamble, that's on you. But we are going to be responsible about the message that we send every single week, that there's a percentage of us that just can't gamble responsibly. And as a result, we can't gamble at all. Abstinence is uh, our only answer. And as always, joining me, the Assistant Executive Director of the uh, Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, better known to you guys out there as 1-800-GAMBLER, is Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. Looking forward to another week. Yeah, me as well. We're going to introduce you to uh, another uh, friend of mine who has experienced the downside of gambling addiction in a second. But, Danny, I wanted to bring one thing uh, up to you this morning as we get started. You know, I always thought that gambling addiction was a male-oriented thing. And then when I went to rehab out in Prescott, Arizona, and I walked into that room for the first time, there were about a dozen people, half women, half men. And I was struck by that, that gambling addiction doesn't care if you're a man or a woman, doesn't care if you're black or white, doesn't care how old you are, it attacks when it attacks, yeah? Yeah, you know, gambling is that hidden addiction that does not discriminate. You know, people gamble for different reasons. You might find males that are there because they're looking for action, and a female gambler could be there because she's looking for escape. But they're both gambling, and they're gambling for different reasons. But it doesn't matter. Race, color, creed, ethnicity, none of it matters. When it hits, it hits hard. I was also struck by the fact that there are things out there that I didn't consider to be gambling that are, and specifically playing the lottery. I never once contemplated that somebody could be addicted to playing the lottery. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. We, we take a number of helpline calls to the 800-GAMBLER helpline, and when we ask people about their gambling, we ask, okay, well, do you play lottery? They're like, well, that's not gambling. You know, I just play lottery four or five times a week, but I don't have a gambling problem. Some people don't consider what they do to be gambling if they don't expect to win. That's what we oftentimes hear. If someone say, well, I'm not going to win anyway, huh. so it's really not gambling. That's interesting. Yeah, there was a person I was in rehab with who uh, their addiction was scratch-offs. They would uh, get their paycheck, and they would go right to the local you know, bodega or convenience store, wherever they were, and they would go out and buy every lottery ticket they could buy, whether it be you know, the big Mega Millions or whether it be a scratch-off trying to win five bucks, and that was their addiction. Yeah, you know, and it, and it hits different people in different ways, right? I've known many people from the rooms and from various meetings around the state and around the country that – you know, it, whether it was horse racing, whether it's Internet or casino gambling, whether it's sports betting, it's that opportunity to improve your life. It's that opportunity to escape for a little while from maybe a problem that that I just quite frankly don't want to deal with or don't know how to deal with. And, and it's the accessibility. And in, in various neighborhoods around the globe, we have lottery retailers, we have different gambling forms, and it's just a, a, an easy way to escape with an opportunity to try to win something of value. You know, a lot of people have heard my story. My addiction was blackjack, and it was blackjack as much as possible. But I thought it would be important on this show, week to week, to introduce the audience to other people, other men and women, who have gone down the, you know, the rabbit hole of gambling addiction. Some have come out the other side, uh, and it's good. 
And others, of course, we know uh, don't uh, don't make it all the way back to uh, living a sober life. I want to introduce the audience to a friend of mine named Phil. Phil, who is also a compulsive gambler, is kind enough to join us this morning and share his story. Phil, good morning. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Craig, and uh, thanks uh, for you doing this every Saturday morning. And uh, thanks for Dan for uh, participating. And he mentioned... Uh, my love, at least I thought it was my love at the time, and that was horse racing. That was uh, 80% of my gambling for sure. So, uh, huh. you know, just, just hearing him say, oh, horse racing, and last week he used the word handle, and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a horse racing term. And it, it just, uh, you know, even now, and I've been clean for close to four years, and just hearing those terms, it's like, wow, you know, that's, that's something I participated in, and I never want to do it again. Is it a trigger at all when you hear those terms, or like, no, no. N- not those terms as a trigger. If ever I'm flipping around on TV, I have a lot of the channels blocked that may come up. But if for some reason one of the regular networks is showing a horse race and I see it, or a commercial with horse racing, that that may be a slight trigger. And I can watch some sports now, but I could never watch a horse race. So let me uh, let me back up the truck here. When did you start going to the track? When did uh, gambling on, on horses become or start off for you in your life? How old were you? I was probably around 10 or 11. And uh, at the time, you had to be 12 to even get in the Meadowlands. So my dad took me to tracks. You didn't have to be 12 because it was an activity he enjoyed. And he did it uh, responsibly, as far as I know. But... He tried to get me in the Meadowlands at age 10, age 11, and I'm like, most people have fake IDs to go drinking or to go do something like that. And uh, here's your dad saying, oh, no, he's 12. Uh, he can come in. And, uh, sure. You know, so, so that's a little sick right there. But that's, uh, that's pretty much when I started at tracks like Freehold and Garden State and Meadowlands. And, you know, I was there once a week, twice a month. But by the time I could drive... I was there multiple times a week. And was it the type of thing where you'd spend your time at home, at work, looking at you know the daily racing form, uh, picking uh, horses, or was it was it kind of secluded to as soon as I get to the track, I'll start you know doing all that stuff? <laughs> I, I wish it was the uh, the second one, but it was definitely the former. I was thinking when I wasn't at the track, I was thinking about how I was going to get to the track how I was going to make time to go, how I was going to do the drive there, which track I was going to go to, which New York paper I was going to buy because they had better information and better picks. And, uh, you know, I, I could spend weeks on one or two races. Got it. Talking to a friend of mine named Phil, who's also a compulsive gambler, but uh, knock on wood, uh, and um, great to hear, four years without making a, a single wager. So was there a point when... Anybody in your life came to you before you hit rock bottom and said, hey, Phil, what's going on? Everything you ever talk about is a track. You're always distracted by the track, by horses, when you just denied it and walked away from those types of uh, people? Many people. Many people did that. I'd say that was coming uh, uh, to a front at, uh, at college. And I was going to the track way more than I was going to class. I was doing some work on the college campus to make money so I could go to the track, but I wasn't going to a lot of classes. And the head of the department I was in, it was the math department, called my parents and said, "Uh, your son is quite an enigma. 
He's the best tutor we have, but he may flunk out. And that, that, that just makes no, if it, you're laughing, then I would laugh too because it makes no sense. Yeah. And being described to your parents when you're about 19 years old as an enigma is not what any uh, boy is striving for. Was there an, a, a moment for you when you look back on, on your gambling where you, where you won a significant amount of money and that empowered you to do it more? Oh, sure. And uh, we're not talking, uh, you mentioned the millions and scratch-off and lottery, nothing like that. But, yeah, I had, I had my hits of hundreds of dollars or even close to $1,000 here or there. But uh, I'll, I'll relate it to a, a sports topic. Uh, a friend of mine was nice enough to take me to the draft the year the Jets had four first-round picks. Mm-hmm. And I had it timed out, and I hadn't made a, a bet in about a year, but I had it timed out. I can leave after the first round and make it to an OTB, and there was a, a big race in New York to bet. I could do that, and that'll be the only race I bet. And I did that, won about $300, and I said, boy, you know, I still got 10 minutes to make the train back to New Jersey. Let me just bet one more race. And I lost $300. Right. So that, I thought about that one race for weeks, if not months. Yeah, it's and interesting. You know, when you talk about it, in 10 seconds. you're not talking about a lot of money. You're not talking about life-changing money. And, Dan, let me bring no. you back in here for a minute. Uh, you know, that, you know, I assume that's the norm. It doesn't have to be thousands and thousands or millions of dollars. I mean, it could be a simple $5, 10 $20 type of wager, right? Yeah, you know, that's what we always – I think the misconception and, and part of the, the benefit of having this show, Craig, is reducing the stigma and shame around gambling because there's a connotation that – if you're a gambler with a problem, that you're money-hungry or you're greedy, that's always been kind of the negative connotation. And, and you get people who will tell you, just stop, right? What are you doing? You're not putting anything into your system, so just stop. But a $5 bet, a, a $1 bet, it's that opportunity to, to try to gain something that you didn't have previously. And there's this little dopamine burst that goes off inside our brains and our body is impacted every time. And when we're anticipating that win, wow, that feels really good until the next win comes along, and then it feels good to anticipate the next one. So the money doesn't matter. A gambling disorder and a problem gambler, it's more about an emotional issue than it is about a money issue. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I just had a flashback. I I became friendly with a couple casino hosts, Um, and one of them actually said to me once, I'll never forget it, he said, you know, it's okay to win. You can walk out. You can take – we got plenty yeah. of money. You know, feel yeah. free to walk out and come back in a couple hours, go eat dinner. You don't have to sit at the table the entire time you're here. And, you know, and at the time, I blew that off. But looking back on it, yeah, like there were so many times where if I just walked out the door – now, I was going to go back. You know, I wasn't going to stop. But yeah. if I just walked out the door, you know, who knows what, what, what would have happened. You know what I mean? In the middle of action, it's the hardest thing to do because we can sit here, all three of us can sit here on the other side and say, yeah, you got to walk out and you have to do this. But we all know that we're in the middle of that action, whether it's researching the horses and, and cheering for that horse or at the blackjack table or betting on sports, whatever it is, hardest thing to do because that magnet, that magnetic pull is so strong, you can't get away from it. We're going to continue on with Dan uh, from 1-800-GAMBLER and uh, my friend Phil, who's sharing his personal story, right after this on the brand-new show, Hello, My Name is Craig. All right, guys, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Dan Trelauer, of course, of 1-800-GAMBLER, joins us, and a friend of mine named Phil, who is also a compulsive gambler. 
Yo, Phil, you mentioned something before we took the break there that you had been clean for a year before you made another wager when you left uh, the NFL draft to go um, wager on a horse race, which tells me that, you know, you fell off the wagon, quote unquote, and uh, you went gambling again. And I wonder how frequently in your life that happened where you'd go a period of time and be abstinent and kind of have your gambling demons under control only to fall back off and wager again. I'd say if I'm estimating how many times I went six months clean or a year clean, you know, probably you know seven or eight times. But I had a stretch from 2003 to 2014 without a wager. Wow. And still went back. And that was when I was doing a lot of the recovery and going to meetings and talking to other people and... I thought, oh, well, I got this licked. 11 years, that's good. I must have defeated it. No, I didn't defeat it. And once I went back, all those emotions that Dan mentioned came pouring in again. And I was uh, full speed at it in in no time. So what was the point after uh, umpteen months or years? I can go back and do it responsibly only to find out that you couldn't, yeah? Oh, you nailed it. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. What was the, if you don't mind me asking, what was the rock bottom moment for you? Well, like, what was the I last the wager rock- you made, or the last moment where you said, "All right, this is it. I got a real problem, and this is—it's uh, real this time. I got to solve it." I'll honestly say my rock bottom was not my last bet, which was in 2017. I would say my rock bottom was before the, uh, that. 2003 incident where, all right, now I'm married and I got two kids and I'm still doing this. Uh, I'll use the word nonsense. I'm still doing this and I can't stop. And now it's not just affecting me, it's affecting other people. If it's affecting just me, which it was in the late 90s, how I was screwing up college and messing up at work, but that was just affecting me. When it's affecting other people, uh, that, that's not fair. And that's, that was my rock bottom. And I haven't even mentioned a dollar amount. And that was still my rock bottom. Sure. Do you have a moment, if you don't mind, where you had to talk to your kids or your wife and say, listen, yeah. you know, I'm going to be honest with you now where I haven't been for all these years. I'm a compulsive gambler. I can't stop. That's a moment I had. And that's not real easy when your kids are about three and one. Um, so I may have said some things, but I hopefully explained it to them in later years, but I was, and rightfully so kicked out of the house for about eight months. And, and my wife, I'm still married. She's a saint. If, uh, if that's a good enough term, and my wife's about the most awesome person in the world. And, uh, and once I showed that I was serious about getting back in the house, I got back in the house and, you know, having that talk even now with uh, with my kids at, at ages 21 and 18, it's it's not easy. But that's why I'm making this call today, and that's why I'm trying to help out uh, in any way I can. That's only fair. And, uh, I, I, you, you're there's something that I find amazing about you, and you know, as I've gotten to know you over the last you know year and a half, and that's really about it. You know, and a lot of it is, you know, you know, not in group settings or you on the phone or text that type of things. You know, I, I dealt with, with a lot of shame for a part of my life when I was trying to come to terms with being an addict. You know, because who wants to admit that they're an addict, right? And I never found that with you. You know, you're, you're proud to be sober. You're proud. You wear it on your sleeve. Hey, I'm a compulsive gambler, but I don't lie about it. I'm, this is who I am. 
And I find that to be really refreshing. And I think that's really fantastic for other people to know that you can get to that stage. I got to it much later. Uh, I got to it while I was away in prison where I, you know, when you finally take ownership of all the mistakes you make, it's okay. To, and it's okay to be honest. You know, you drop that shame. And I wondered how long it took you to get to that spot. Wow. That's a great question. And it probably took me until this, uh, time in 2017 to really own it. Uh, I, in 2003 to 2014, I was trying to defeat it, but I, didn't, I still didn't take full ownership, and I hopefully have. But I get up every morning, and it's going to sound silly to some out there, but I hope at least one person listens. I get up every morning, and I say, you know what? I didn't gamble yesterday. My goal is not to gamble today. And then when I wake up tomorrow higher power willing, uh, I won't gamble tomorrow. Yeah, it seems and, childish, but it's not. It's not. When, when, you, when you can go, not at all. When you can put your head on the pillow uh, and say, I didn't gamble today, that's a good day. That's very simple, but it's very real for guys like us. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. You know, was there ever a point when you felt when you had been kicked out of the house, I don't want to wake up tomorrow? Uh, close. I, I don't use that word like I was going to try to do harm to myself. But I'd say the closest I got to that was, you know, I've messed this all up. Why don't I just drive off the road? Or why don't I, uh, you know, do something like that? And uh, fortunately, I had enough loved ones around me uh, at at the time. My dad was still around and uh, uh, my mom when she was around. I got a great sister and a great support system. This is all on me. I I got the tools around me to do a great job with it. So... I stuck around, and gosh, I'm happy I did, because now I'm seeing my my kids both at college and doing an awesome job, despite the uh, the little bit of a, a handicap I burdened them with. And you know, thank thank goodness they're great kids, and as I mentioned, uh, uh, a great spouse. Hey, Danny, why is the suicide rate so high for gambling addicts when compared to other addictions? Wow, great question. And, and, you know, Phil, I want to first also just say thank you for, you know, having the courage to be imperfect, right? Because we're all imperfect. And the more that we can talk about it through shows like this, and we have that courage to come on and talk about how we are not perfect. You know, the world says we have to be, and we have to be on point all the time. But you know what? There's certain days that we're not. And it's courageous. And, and, I, and I applaud and continue to keep you in thoughts uh, along your uh, road of recovery. I wanted to make sure I said that. Um, you know, the suicide Thank rate you. is high, uh, whether it's ideation or attempt, it's, it, it's, it's sizable because the problem with gambling is oftentimes the person will come to their knees when they're at their, their lowest point, right? They've lost all of this money. They, they have the shame that they're dealing with. They're dealing with guilt, remorse, fractured relationships, and they just don't think that they can overcome it. The mountain is insurmountable. And so the easiest thing to do is to just remove yourself from this world and to contemplate suicide. And it's not an easy word for people to say. And so when we talk to people who've contemplated suicide, we have to actually say the word first on our end. Are you considering suicide? Because it gives them permission to actually say the word and not be so scared of it. So it has to do a lot with the sizable loss, the the feelings that I can't stop this. I don't know what's wrong with me, right? There's all that shame and guilt, and they just don't see a way out, Craig. You know, I've I I, I told the story publicly. It's in the documentary about me. 
You know, it's funny. I contemplated jumping off a ski lift. Yeah. You know, but I, but I, but I made. I, I always, I made the point of saying. I don't know why I made this point, but it was important to me to make it. Where I said I didn't want to die. I just wanted to jump. You know what I mean? Like I couched yeah. it. I didn't want anyone to think that I wanted to die. I just wanted to jump off the ski lift. Now, who knows what the end result would have been? Yeah. But I, I, you know, for me, for whatever reason, there's a line between the two of those things. Yeah, yeah, and if something happened, so be it. And that's what I—that's what I was trying to relate with the. Well, I'll just drive off the road. What happens, happens. And I—I I think uh, I've, I heard you on the on the wild car mention um, the ski lift thing, and and I was in your head with that because I've been there. It's that gambling risk taking attitude because there's certain personality traits that lend themselves to various addictions, and a gambler lends the personality traits are would be the. The type A, the risk-taking, you're not risk-averse, obviously. None of us are as gamblers in recovery. When we were in action, we took a lot of risks. And some of it is, I don't really want to die. I just want to see if I can just kind of do this thing, right? It's an adrenaline rush. It's high risk. Let me see if I can pull this off. But you're wrestling. You're hedging. I don't want to die. I'm not going to give up because there's always still a chance out there. But I don't know how to deal with this life. And that's those, those crazy thoughts and the preoccupation that starts to go through our brains. Uh, before we wrap up with Phil, you know, you, you you went to the track to wager, you went to OTB to wager, and I imagine there was a fraternity of, of guys that you probably saw on a regular basis because, you know, there are regulars that go to the track, there are regulars that go to casinos, there are regulars that go to sports books, of course, and I wonder, was there any point of view where you were, were un, sad or felt guilty about leaving those guys kind of in your wake that, you know, they weren't going to be part of your life anymore, and... Did you stay in touch with any of those guys that you used to gamble regularly with? Craig, I was alone in a crowd. I, I was it. with people. Yeah. I saw the same faces. I saw the, the same behaviors. And, yeah, I would say, hey, buddy, hey, guy. I knew nobody's name. I didn't care. I just wanted to get to what I was doing. Yes, I recognized them. And some people, I'm like, wow, I don't want to turn out like that guy or that girl. But I knew their faces. I didn't care to know anything more about them, and no, I don't keep in touch with them. And b- before we let you go, and I apologize for asking this question, but you know, when there's a triple crown race, if the Kentucky Derby's on, and we all know the date of it well before it comes on, yep. do you go out of your way to avoid it? Do you Absolutely. pretend like it doesn't exist? How do you handle something where you know it's going to be in your face, you know it's going to be talked about, you know when it's on, you know where it's on? How do you go out of your way to avoid it? logically, I know it's happening, but I'll plan something with my family. Hey, that day we're going for a walk. We're going to dinner. We're going to do something else. And, yeah, I'll, I'll avoid it as best I can. Yeah, I know there are ads and stuff pops up on the Internet or, or whatnot, but I, I avoid those races. And the other one I'll mention, Breeders' Cup, was another one in the fall, and I avoid that uh, as best I can. And was there any uh, ever point in your life when you went from horse racing to another uh, gambling type of uh, behavior, or was it only for you uh, horse racing? Uh, when it when it was closer or available, I went to casinos if I if I had the time and the opportunity. Uh, I wasn't into the lottery or or bingo or those sorts of things, but uh, I di- I didn't mind sitting down and playing some cards or Got or uh, playing some roulette or something like that. And I want to give you a chance before we let you go. For somebody that might be listening who's going through it right now, and here's your story or my story, here's Dan talking, starts making the connection to them, 
or if you have a loved one out there that might be going through something like this, what would you say to somebody listening who hasn't yet made the phone call or decided to go get help? What would you say to those people? That little blurb you hear at the end of ads, that 800-GAMBLER, give it a call. Try it for 60 days, 90 days. See if you feel better. Go to some meetings if you can. But I've worked that hotline number on the 800-GAMBLER, and the stories I hear, I just tell people, you know, try to tell some loved ones in your life. See if you can get to a counselor. See if you can get to a meeting or tell a friend or tell a religious figure. Do something. Don't just sit there and do nothing. You don't have to suffer by yourself. Phil, great job. I appreciate you being willing to share your story. If anyone listening right now would like to share their story to help others, just send me an email, uh, craig.carton at entercom.com. Dan, before we let you go here as well, let me just wrap it up uh, with your final thoughts. On people that do call 1-800-GAMBLER, they should know that when they talk to someone on the, on the other line of the phone, that person's going to get, on a personal level, exactly what they might be going through, right? Yeah, you're 100% right, Craig. We're going to feel that call with compassion and kindness. We're going to gather some, some information that's confidential. We don't share it with anyone else. And we're going to try to direct that individual, whether it's the gambler or the loved one, the family member, we're going to try to gather the information and point them in the right direction for resources, whether it's a clinician or a meeting. However we can help them, we're going to do the best to refer them to those services. Well, I appreciate it. Great partnering with you. We'll see you again next Saturday. Dan, Phil, be well. And I appreciate your sobriety and sharing your story. That'll wrap it up for us. Another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. We do it every Saturday morning at 9.30 right here on Sports Radio 66, 1019 FM, The Fan. Have a great weekend.